This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. By day, Matt Matheson is a teacher and assistant principal, but when the day is done, he takes on his role of Canada's newest personal finance blogger. Matt started writing at methodtoyourmoney.ca in October 2017, and since then, he's gotten the attention of some major personal finance publications. In January 2018, he was published in Money Sense magazine, and just recently, he was a guest blogger on the popular personal finance site, GetRichSlowly.com. Matt joined me from Edmonton, Alberta to tell his personal finance story. I can totally remember it. Yeah. And it's actually not something that I did with money. It's something that I, <laughs> that I avoided doing with money. I was like five years old and- Okay. You know, uh, I'm going to stop you right immediately. Okay. How do you remember? I don't remember anything from when I was five and everyone's just telling me these stories like I was two and a half and I opened a, <laughs> a savings account. I'm like, what is happening? Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. No, uh, no worries. But you actually remember you were five and something happened. Yeah. I was like five or something. And <laughs> I, I remember I was grocery shopping with my mom and we were walking through the, uh, the produce section and I uh, got, a, got a look at some juicy strawberries and I just couldn't keep my hot little hands off of them. And so I took one of the strawberries and I just slipped it into my pocket and I kept it in my pocket while we were doing our grocery shopping and, you know, thought I was pretty sneaky and got home and enjoyed the fruits of my labors or my, my lack of labor, I guess. <laughs> and I thought I'd gotten away with it. I thought I was, uh, I thought I was home free until my mom did the wash. And oh yeah. She was checking my pockets to see if there was anything in it before it went in the wash. And she saw like these huge strawberry stains in one of my, in one of my pockets. And she immediately knew what had, what had happened. And she, uh, she called me on it. She made me go back to the grocery store actually. And I had to apologize to the, to the people in the grocery store for, uh, for stealing. And so that totally, Maybe that's why I remember it, just because it was kind of a little bit traumatic. Yeah, the first time. Well, you went right. You you, like she marched you back there, or you? Yeah, I just remember going back. Honestly, I must have like I don't know if I like blacked out or what. Well, I was actually apologizing, (laughs) or I've like blocked it out of my memory with you know the hours of therapy that I've. Yeah, uh, (laughs) the early trauma of having to apologize for the thievery. Exactly. So, but that no, that is really that's. I didn't really thought about it until you asked the question, but that is really my first, uh, <laughs> that's my first memory of, that's of, awesome. dealing, with, of dealing with money is, uh, yeah. The best part a- is it, is it like, if you would have said, Hey, can I have this strawberry to somebody, anyone at the grocery store, they would have said, sure, I don't care. Totally. Right? And I, exactly. It, it, that's, that's exactly the thing. And you know what? It must've been somewhat traumatic because I, I remember it. And I know I'd heard another story of something similar of a dad who uh, had a son who had done the same thing. And when he took his son back to give the, give the, whatever it was back, the person, the owner of the store just looked at him and said, Oh, it's okay. You can keep it. And that was totally the opposite of what he wanted. He wanted his son to actually like <laughs> yeah. get the lesson, like, Hey, it's wrong to steal. Like he wanted him to feel a little bit of like, 
a little bit of pain and a little bit of discomfort. And so, yeah, I was glad my looking back, you know, I'm glad my parents did that because it obviously taught me a lesson. He could have, you know, he could have made a simple phone call to the grocer before <laughs> yeah. and said, Hey, I'm bringing my son in or, you know, my kid. Totally. Yeah. Uh, can totally. you help me out? Here? <laughs> totally help me out. <laughs> Cause he thought, probably thought he was doing a good thing saying, don't worry about it, kid. No need totally. to have years of totally. therapy because of this innocent strawberry. So you learned about, well, not stealing, but is there yes. something else that you learned? Uh, you know what? I learned that you have to work for things if you want to buy them. And that was, that was driven home to me. Like I, I, growing up, I got, I got an allowance and, you know, I had chores every Saturday we cleaned around the house. My mom is a, like a, a stickler when it comes to housekeeping. So, you know, every, every Saturday we had to, you know, clean bathrooms, dust the floor, vacuum, you know, we had to do all that. And I mean, during the week we, I have two siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and we all had we all had chores that we had to do throughout the week, and then we got paid. And so I think like that was kind of like impressed upon me really early that like if you want money, it just doesn't happen magically. You actually have to work in order to uh, in order to get in order to get money. Good lesson to learn early. Yeah, definitely good lesson to learn early. And you know, it's one of the things that I've tried to impress with my kids that we have, we have two little ones. We have a five-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy, the five-year-old we've been paying her kind of like a commission sort of on like the Dave Ramsey model of teaching kids finances. And so she's got a little chore chart that, that she has to do every day. You know, like she's got to take her dishes over. She's got to make her bed. She's got to put her dirty laundry away. And what's the, uh, what's the Dave Ramsey method? So Dave Ramsey method, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, uh, smart money, smart kids. He and his daughter have written a book basically just talking about how he sort of raised them. And now his daughter, who's kind of a part of uh, his business, she has actually written the book, co-authored the book with him. And they just kind of go through and they talk about like how you should actually, how you can actually pass on your financial values to your kids and do it in a way that's in, that's intentional. So like when I was young, we got an allowance. So we actually don't, we don't give our, our daughter an allowance. Uh, we, we pay her commission. And it seems like a small thing, but I really do think language is important. And the difference is an allowance makes it sound like you get it for doing really nothing. Mm. Whereas commission is you only get it if you actually do the work. And if you don't do the work, you don't get paid. And every, you know, the pay is directly tied to the, to the work. And my wife and I chatted. I mean, we want to, we want to pass that on to, uh, to our daughter that, you know, there definitely is a direct correlation between, you know, how hard you work and how well you do financially. And not to say if you like, there's tons of people that are hard workers that are, you know, that are not wealthy. It's not necessarily a direct correlation, but you don't find very many people that are, are wealthy or have become wealthy that aren't really hard workers. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. I never would have thought the semantics were so important. But you're right. One day she will be in a position where she might be earning a commission and and she'll be like, yeah, I've been doing this my whole life. This makes sense. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of what we're that's kind of what we're hoping, right? That uh, that she kind of catches catches some of those catches some of those values that my wife and I uh, think are important when it comes to handling, handling money and that she'll be able to, and you know, that hopefully we'll give her a leg up and she can be successful with her, uh, with her finances. That's cool. So, so you got an allowance though, to go back uh, in the, the lingo. What did you do with it? Probably honestly, when I got my allowance, when I was a kid, me and my brother, we would save up for different things. 
I bought a lot of hockey cards. Was a hockey card guy back in the day. Like as an uh, investment or, or just for fun? Well, I mean, it kind of was an investment, I guess, if I think about it. Like an investment, as much of an investment as like a 10-year-old can kind of make. Like sure. I was interested in the value of the cards and stuff like that. They used to have these little magazines. You could like look up the value of your cards. And I mean, like most of the cards we had were, you know, like one cent, two cents kind of thing. But every once in a while, you'd come across like, you know, one of your best cards that was worth like a quarter or something like that. And I traded, I traded with, uh, with my friends and, you know, I was definitely conscious of trading for cards that were like more valuable or ones that I thought were more, uh, were more valuable. I'm not sure how accurate, you know, my appraisals were of the different, uh, the different cards that I was tra- trading for it oftentimes was like my favorite, uh, my favorite players, but we would do that. And then my brother and I, he's two and a half years younger than me. And so, uh, we would oftentimes pool our money to get things that we kind of like both wanted that were a little bit too far out of our reach if we were just kind of going to fly solo. So I can remember we had a paper route so I can, clearly remember you know working this paper out saving up this money so that we could buy a a sega genesis that was the gaming system of the day and so we pulled our money i was a nintendo guy i'm sorry okay well we had an we had a nintendo we we did have a nintendo we had the original we had the original nintendo which was sweet but then we decided to go with the uh the sega genesis and uh I gotta say, I had a lot of great hours on the Sega Genesis NHL hockey, and is that uh, why? Can you remember why? Was it because of the games that you wanted? I think it was the Genesis. Ga- I think it was. I think it was the games that we wanted. I think they had a better selection of like uh, sports games. Sure, we, we were kind of more into the into the sports uh, the sports games. And I was a Mario and and the Zelda guy. Yeah, so totally. Was, so like, if you-, you know, I was sold. Totally. So like the, the kind of more adventure games totally was more of a Nintendo sort of feel and like the, the sports and like driving and like race cars and stuff like that, that was a little bit more on the, on the Genesis end. So yeah, I can remember like pooling money with that. I mean, we, we bought, we bought the things that like kids, kids buy, but I do very clearly remember, like I said, I can remember saving up for things and uh, like, I wasn't a big you know, I wasn't going down to the corner store and like, you know, blowing all my money on candy or, or anything like that. I definitely, I definitely always had in mind kind of some of those bigger purchases. I'm not even sure where that came from. Like, I don't remember my parents being overly intentional about teaching us about that. I mean, they, we knew we couldn't just afford anything. Like my dad is a, as a pastor. So, I mean, we didn't make a ton of, didn't make a ton of money. My mom's a nurse, but she worked part-time when we were, uh, were, were kids. So it wasn't like we had tons of cash. And I, I don't know if we just kind of knew, like we could do the math and we knew that, you know, if we wanted some of these things, we were going to have to save up for them. Cause we didn't live in a house where like, if you wanted something, your parents would just go out that day and like, buy it for you kind of thing. And I'm glad we didn't live in a house like that because it taught me a lot of really great lessons. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a really good point. I think I feel like, uh, you know, from uh, everyone I'm talking to, it's like these behaviors are, you start with a certain kind of behavior, whether your parents tell you this or not, it's the way that you are. And maybe some people are just one way or the other, and then something might happen to change that. You know, like you said, you you can't really pinpoint exactly like your parents didn't say, you know, save up to buy this thing that you want, but you just had this thing in your mind and you knew that if you wasted it on candy, you wouldn't get that thing. And that's probably it. It's, it's uh, maybe people just expect their parents to buy them things. And then so when they make money, it's like play money. 
and then that carries forward to adulthood. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And now it's funny you like I haven't really thought too much about like my my childhood memories with money, but <laughs> I'm thinking about this now and I clearly so I have another childhood memory where the local corner store, it was a max. We entered this draw. They were giving away this like this 10 speed uh, bike. I was five. I think it was like five years old at the time. Five years. I was, it was a big year for me at five. Yeah. A lot, uh, a lot happened. A lot, lot going on. <laughs> strawberry, strawberry gate. And uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I can remember like I won, I won this bike. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Yeah, I know. Like out, and out of all these people that entered this draw, I won this bike. And I mean, I'm five and this bike is a 10 speed. Like it's way too, it's way too for me. It's huge. But I can remember going to the local bike shop and we sold the bike and we got money for, we got money for the bike. And I can remember, and I, it wasn't me that thought of this, but my parents, we got, so it was like my first sort of like real two wheeler. And I can remember my parents, we got a used two wheeler and I can remember them saving the money that we didn't spend. And I actually used that to buy my second bike, which was a, like a brand new bike. Like it had all the bells and whistles, had pegs and stuff like that, that I could stand up on and like hand brakes and, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And so I just think about that. Like, I think my parents taught me a lot of things, maybe not directly, like telling me you need to save for things. But I mean, that in and of itself was a lesson. It's like, yeah, you can blow it all on one thing or you can, you know, you can buy used and you can actually get like a used bike and then you can get a new bike down the line kind of thing. Yeah, I'm realizing now that, that it, it maybe it's not just something innate. I think it, I think it is parents and your surroundings because other people I've talked to as well, their parents kind of taught by example. They didn't sit down yeah. and say, these are the personal finance lessons that I'm going to teach you. But just that specific example, it's so young for you to be like, okay, I got this bike that I can use now and the proceeds, the rest of it, I'm going to use for the future. And maybe it even grew. You know, I'm guessing this was, uh, wait, are, uh, are we the same age? How old are you? I'm 37. Yeah, I'm 37 as well. Perfect. So oh, nice. this is this is the 80s and interest from what, I, <laughs> what I've been told uh, lately was really high. Yeah, exactly. So you probably made a little bit of money and then you were able to get a better bike. And that's a great lesson to learn too. When you finally get around to it, 10, 10 years old or eight or whatever you were, you got, you got a little bit more profit there. So let's jump to the first sort of real, real job. Did you like every, it turns out everybody I know worked in some kind of fast food. Oh, Are you one of those people? I am Bo, unfortunately, <laughs> but I, I gotta be honest. I full I, respect, full respect for, oh, for this. Don't. No, you haven't heard my story yet. You're, oh, not, okay. gonna, you're not gonna. You're not gonna respect. Oh you're no! Not Did me you burn the place down or? No, I didn't burn the place down, but I didn't last very long. Okay. Uh, so I so I started at McDonald's when I was fourteen, and you know, fourteen. Um, I was living in Alberta at the time, so fourteen. That's the age at which you can you can get a job, and so you know, I applied for McDonald's. I was making four fifty an hour, and honestly, I kid you not. Like I'm an assistant principal now. Yeah. So, I mean, I deal with conflict like every day, like pretty much constantly, right? Whether it's parents or students or teachers, like it's a regular part of my day. Sure. I kid you not, the most stressful job I've ever had is working at McDonald's. <laughs> like that was by far the most stressful. Job. I can remember my first shift at McDonald's. So I go in there, they give me like maybe 15 minutes of training. I mean, 
it was not much training and you know it's like five o'clock the supper rush and I'm supposed to be like cooking these burgers and like I'm in way over my head I have no idea what I'm doing I've got the manager like screaming at me to like get these burgers out and like I remember at one point I like burned my arm on like a bun toaster and like it was just an absolute an absolute nightmare. So after about three weeks, you know, I'd go home after every shift with thirteen dollars and fifty cents in my pocket. Sure. And it didn't take me very long to do the math at that. I was like, this is just so not worth it. This is so not worth getting yelled at and screamed at and like dealing with this stress for three hours to go home with $13.50. I live in Alberta. I'll go shovel driveways like where no one's yelling and screaming at me. Like they'll pay me $10 to shovel a driveway. And so I, I ended up quitting at McDonald's. I, I lasted three weeks. That's why I say, don't, uh, don't give me too many kudos for, uh, well, for you, gave it a try. you gave it a try. I gave it a try. And I did. You know, it isn't for everybody. Otherwise, every single person I I, I know would have uh, worked in fast food, and and uh, that's not true. But it seems like a lot of them. Okay, it didn't work out at McDonald's. Totally cool. But did you go shovel driveways? I didn't end up going shovel shoveling driveways. What I ended up doing was. So we had a family friend that worked for uh, waste management. So they they're the ones that do like the garbage, and they do a bunch of other like it's like all like. Like they do porta potties and different things like that. Sure. So I actually got a job in the porta potty uh, division. I tell you, like Bo, honestly, I don't know I've where had, this is going, but it <laughs> it's it's going somewhere really crappy. And I, I <laughs> pun intended, pun totally intended. You you beat so, me to it. So literally, I go into this, and I got hired in the in the in February. And so I go in, and what had happened was the porta potty division had been in disrepair the previous summer. And so what had happened was, I don't know if the previous manager had been fired or what, but there were all these porta potties that had been stacked out in the yard that were full. The tanks were full. They haven't been pumped out. They hadn't this, been sucked this is, out. Uh, this is my nightmare you're describing. This right is ter- I haven't even got to the nightmare part yet, Bo. <laughs> oh, no. So you had to do my, something about this, didn't you? Yes, exactly. So I was paid $9 an hour. Oh. And I was tasked with bringing the porta potties into the heated wash bay mm. and taking hot water and running it into the tank because we had to thaw it out. And then, I, then we'd leave them in the wash bay overnight. I'd come back the next uh, the next evening. This was an after school job, so I'd come come in uh, after school in the evening, and I would literally like we would have to suck out the. The tanks, but I mean, I'm so I'm a science teacher. So, quick little science lesson here: you've yeah. got like ice cold blocks of human feces, mm-hmm. and you've got hot water. You know, when mm-hmm. hot meets cold, you get steam. Yeah, and so literally inside of these porta potties, it was like a crap steam bath. Uh, I'm like in these, and honestly, like even to this day, I'm so not even phased by anything like related like i've okay. got you know, yeah I'm, you've had your full experience <laughs> oh totally like i've got friends that you know their kids when they go to change their diapers they're like wearing you know like the masks and stuff like that i'm just like you know what doesn't even it doesn't even phase me i've had uh i've had worse things uh you know splash in my face than anything my my daughter or my son could well, ever, yeah and the kid so it really good for kids because people are like oh changing diapers poop or puke or whatever you're <laughs> like long time ago people I, know. I, I got I'm, I got <laughs> trial by fire at the beginning. 
Totally. I'm not even not even phased by it. So I graduated, though, from uh, from porta potty duty and I, I uh, was a garbage man for uh, for a few summers. Okay. And that wasn't a, that wasn't a bad job. I mean, it's it's obviously it's like super repetitive, like you're up and down off the truck all day long. And like it's it's crazy boring and stuff like that. It wasn't bad when it was nice outside. Honestly, it sucked when it rained because we'd have rain gear. And I mean, I, I didn't have like really awesome, like breathable rain gear. So you just like sweating and so honestly you don't know if you're getting wet from the rain on the outside or if you're getting wet from the sweat on the inside and like well, i always wonder it, it, in the winter it, it must be cold because one of you is outside right one of you yeah, is at the well, back uh, throwing the stuff in you go pick totally. up pick up the garbage like from the people's houses well i never did I, so this was just a summer job so i was in at this point when i was a garbage man i was in uh i was in university okay uh, um, or I, the one, the one summer I was a garbage man was between uh, high school and university. So it was only ever summer. So I never had to do it in the, never had to do it in the winter. Although I'll tell you the thing about the winter is when you're moving, unless it's like really, really cold, when you're moving, you get warm. I guess you're, so. yeah. you're up and down, you're moving constantly. Like it's, it's and the uh, smells are probably better because everything's frozen. Totally. You know, we, exactly. you know, I, we, we put our cat, we have to put our cat litter into the garbage and I'm telling you. By the time garbage day comes around in the summer, not smelling very good. No, I, do, I can only I can only imagine. I do want to I do want to comment on your <laughs> first two jobs. Now, well, first of all, uh, I feel like you should have done the poop one before McDonald's because <laughs> it would have been like, oh, this is a breeze, no poop, right? Totally. But uh, also, it's just isn't it funny how you know you seem comfortable, more comfortable uh, with the porta potties. Than you were with the the fast paced McDonald's, am I right? Yeah, I totally was. And and uh, you know uh, anybody else listening to this uh, right now, especially if they did work fast food, would be like, I would never, never do this environmental services bit. Especially if that, like, even if I got like the the best position after I emptied all the like you know porta potties, to <laughs> just do this porta potty thing, and then you're set for life. I feel yeah. like no, I feel like people <laughs> wouldn't even jump on that. So you know, good for you. And, and uh, this is like. You know, we talk about, you know, experience and how you have to go through things to be able to, you know, build perspective uh, in life. And how old are you for the, when you did this? I was, I think, 16 when I started doing the porta potties. And then, like, when I was garbage man, like I said, that was, that was like, in between high school and, uh, and university. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have a, a not close to similar story, but I did work cleaning my, uh, my dad's dental office for years. And so I have this appreciation for vacuum cleaners and, you know, vacuuming. I actually, I I like it and uh, I understand, you know, the value of it and what it it means to have a good vacuum cleaner. So like this kind of perspective, right? It's like you, you, you are like not phased by poop. I'm like vacuum (laughs) cleaners are awesome. You know, these are the different things that people, and then I think everybody else who, who worked in, in uh, retail or fast food, they just have this amazing appreciation for what everybody else does. And you probably do even after your, your what is it, a couple of weeks, what everyone's going through. So when you go to a restaurant, and my wife tells me this all the time, these people are like, you know, shit on all day. Uh, we, we are nice to them always. Yeah, that's totally. My wife was a server. Uh, oh, so, yeah, sounds like, exactly. Sounds like your wife too, was too. And so like my wife, like even when, like when I'm tempted to like, be a little bit like I'll use the word cheap when it comes to like tipping and stuff like that. Sure. My wife will 
like and she'll just call me on that. She'll be yeah, like service or, or fat or, or for like being curt with anyone in fast food or at a drive through or anything like totally. that. Totally. Uh, even with a taxi driver, we need to put ourselves in, in the shoes. Um, and it's not an easy job. Right. And it doesn't pay well either. So you got two of those uh, things are negative. You know, nobody likes that because you want to hope, especially as you get older, that if a t- job is tough, uh, you're getting paid at least. Right. If you're working yeah, exactly. like 100 hours a week, you know, maybe say you're a lawyer, it's tough. But the b- benefit is you're you're getting paid. But yeah. when you're starting out like this, you're working these uh, terrible shifts and you're not getting paid. And uh, that's what it's supposed to, to teach you all this. Uh, it builds your character. Yeah, totally. And I think the one thing, like you mentioned, like if you sh- if you're working hard, you should be getting paid for it. It's not, that was actually one of the things that I learned just from like all of my jobs. Like the like I said, the McDonald's job it was literally the most stressful job I've ever had, and that was the one that paid the least. So what it actually kind of taught me too was you got to work hard. Like there's no substitute for hard work, but there's also no substitute for working smarter and even having some education and some credentials and it doesn't have to be formal, right? Like a lot of the education that people use to, you know, do jobs can even be informal, but like you have to have some sort of like set of marketable skills so that your hard work actually really pays off because there's a ton of people that work really, really hard. Like some of the hardest working people, again, in the schools, like, I mean, some of the hardest working people I see are like our custodians that are in the school. Like, I mean, they work like, insane hours and like they just they just go constantly and you know what they're not getting paid because i know that like in my conversations with them a lot of times they've got multiple jobs right like this is kind of what one of the jobs that they do and then they do another job and then they've got another side side gig that they kind of that they kind of work on and like they're incredibly hard workers but they're doing a job that doesn't unfortunately doesn't have a ton of like marketability when it comes to getting paid. Right. And so I think that's like, that's one of the things that it really taught me is tons of people will work hard, but I need to find something that I'm actually going to get paid to work hard at, because if I just want to work hard, I can do anything. But if I want to work hard and actually get paid well, then I need to be really intentional about like what that job actually is. Absolutely. And so where did you go to get your, uh, your marketable skills? Well, I went to, I uh, went to college and university out here in, uh, in Alberta. I live in Edmonton. So I went to Grant McEwen college, which is, uh, like a community college for two years. And then I went to, uh, university of Alberta for, for three years. And so I have a, a science degree and an education degree. So I've been teaching for, oh goodness now, I guess it's like 11, 11 years that I've been teaching. And while I was teaching, I went and got my master's degree. So, nice. so like I said, I'm an assistant principal, uh, assistant principal now. And so, yeah, like I said, it, it, it showed me that, you know, getting some of those marketable skills is really super important. And I do want to emphasize, I don't think it has to all be formal because I know like, I've started a blog in the last like three or four months here. And honestly, the amount of things I've learned in the last three or four months has been insane. The learning curve that I've been on, none of it has been formal, right? A lot of it has just been me sitting down. Like literally I didn't, when I was going to start my blog, I, I literally was Googling how to start a blog. I had no idea where to even kind of, kind of begin. And so I do think, you know, sometimes people can get hung up on, I can't get into school or I don't know what I should take in school or this, that, 
or the other thing. And I mean, I, I'm obviously an educator, so I believe education is like super important, but doesn't always have to be like a formal education. There's a ton of marketable skills you can get that don't require you to actually go to, you know, university or college or, or whatever uh, that you can kind of pick up on your own. Absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, other than, other than probably your writing abilities that you maybe have worked, worked on in your education uh, background and education, education, is that, is that how, what, is that how you would say that you're <laughs> yeah, educated at, at educating? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And that's a good point. The writing, like that is huge. Cause I mean, when you're in formal education, you do a ton of writing obviously. Right. So you're, you got you're your really, 10,000 hours in there. Uh, I did for, get my 10,000 hours. For that, but not necessarily in the way, well, I mean, you are, you're probably writing things out for kids and in a way that's accessible. So maybe you did get your 10,000 hours in writing accessible pieces like you have on your, on your website now. Yeah, that, you're right about the blog and and uh, a podcast. If you're if anybody's looking to start one of those, you may have some of the skills already, and then you can pick up the other ones as you go along. The first podcast I did it was is uh, about a year ago now. I took my cell phone and I put it in the middle of the table, <laughs> and I <laughs> I pressed the I record on the app that I had downloaded for two dollars. I didn't even expect I was going to publish it. I thought I was going to transcribe it as a, a blog post interview. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, this sounds pretty good. And uh, what, you know, what I, did, I didn't tell any, uh, anybody was that I was going to record it on my computer, but uh, for the first and only time uh, ever, and I still have the same computer, I got the blue screen of death um, oh, no. at that moment. And I feel <laughs> like there was something like, there, I don't know why. It was like, I don't even know what caused it still. I can't even duplicate what happened. But the key is, you just got to get started, and sometimes you got to just uh, learn along the way. I, mean, I didn't know any of this stuff, and and uh, seems like you're uh, you're doing a pretty good job. Uh, uh, let's get back to this, but I want to. Um, how did you pay for school? So combination. Actually, it's funny you mention that because I've got a piece that uh, hopefully will be coming out in the in the next little bit here, just about how I paid for school. So I I worked a ton, and uh, I was really conscious about how I worked. Too. Like you talk about like working in restaurants and working retail and stuff like that. I actually, I purposely took jobs that again, pardon the pun, but like were crappy jobs, but that paid better because I mm. knew like, you know what, I can suck it up for four months in the summer and like just put my nose to the grindstone and just get her done. So I purposely worked, uh, worked those kinds of jobs. I had some scholarships, not a, not a ton, but I had a few thousand dollars worth of, uh, worth of scholarships. And then my parents helped me out with, uh, with my books because I, I live in, I, I live in Edmonton. I was able to live at home while I was in school. Oh, nice. So my parents, I mean, they, they, they didn't really charge me anything. It was basically, it was basically, uh, basically free. And so, and they helped me with my books every semester. So between that, I, and I actually, I took a year off when I was, uh, after my first year of, uh, university kind of a side note, but like, oh, man, I absolutely got crushed my first year of, uh, of university. I thought it was pretty hot stuff going into my first year of university. And then I found out pretty quick that it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So I took a year off after my first year to sort of recover. I went with a, a friend of mine. We went to a Bible school in Austria and then we traveled around Europe for, uh, for a little bit. Oh, nice. So when I, I came home and it was, uh, it was February again, I got a job and I worked for, I guess it was like six months kind of thing almost until I, uh, until I went back to school. And so I was able to pay for 
most of university, I think I had $15,000 or so of student loans. And uh, after my first, while I was teaching my first year, I was, uh, I lived at home. And so I just basically, every cent that I got, I just put it towards the student loan debt. And I had that knocked out after uh, I was a little, like a little less than a year of my first year of, uh, of my first year of work. So very, nice. I'm very, like very, very fortunate to have been able to, uh, to have been able to have the help that I did. And also, like I said, I'm not a, like, I'm not a big spender. You know, I, I never really, like, I never drove a nice car. Like my cars, they sucked. And my friends, you know, we didn't really do anything too expensive. We were, we were pretty lame in a lot of ways when it comes to that, but we had a great time. And I mean, I wasn't with people that spent a lot, so I didn't spend a lot. And so I was able to, able to get through, uh, mostly or mostly debt-free just with like a little bit. And I was able to knock that out. What, uh, what happened in the first year, if you don't mind talking about it? Oh, first year. Okay. So like I graduated from high school and I had decent marks. Like I was an honor student. So mm-hmm. I thought I was, thought I was pretty good. And so, um, I was going into sciences and for those people that are in sciences, you know, this already, if you're not in sciences, I guess this is a little insight into the people who go into science. Pretty much everybody thinks they're going to be a doctor when they go into sciences. They like, you know, they say, oh, you know, what are you, what are you taking? I'm taking pre-med, but really what it is, everybody's taking the exact same Everything's science Everything's pre-med, classes. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And everybody's taking the exact same science classes that first year. So I thought I was going to be a doctor. That was kind of the plan. And hmm. then like I got in that first year and it was just way harder than I, than I thought it was going to be. Like I had to, I worked so incredibly hard and like I was making like C's and B's kind of thing. Like it was a, it was a ton of, uh, it was a ton of work. And so the first semester I had taken five classes, the second semester I was like, I'm not doing that again. So I took four classes. And then, like I said, I started, started to think like, man, I need to take a year off to like, just do something a little more fun. Like I said, I was just really, I was super stressed out. I actually gained a ton of weight too. Um, after that first, uh, that first year, like it wasn't a good situation at all. So then we just decided like, Hey, I, I need to take uh, need to take a year off. And it was, a, it was a fantastic, uh, it was a fantastic year off. I really needed it. And it was really great. Well, that's, that's good because you know, some people would feel like they needed to stick with it and <clears throat> then they would, uh, you know, make themselves sick or uh, mentally sick. Um, Absolutely. By sticking with it. And so it does, uh, and it happens, right? People, they, they, they're burnt out and they, you know, maybe cope with uh, drugs or alcohol or, or gambling, if, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. So it sounds like you made the healthy choice for you. And I think people are less inclined, like people feel less, like they don't have permission mm-hmm. to, do, to do this. Oh, well, yeah. you know, how, how, why would you drop out, you know, or not, like, no, take a break. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you probably had credits you could carry forward, right? Um, I did. I did. Yeah. But I know, I totally know what you're saying. Like, because from the outside, it looks like I dropped out, right? Like even in my, in my own mind, like I always knew I was gonna, like, I I always knew it was just a year off and I was going to come back, but you know, like I could see how, you know, you hear about people that they take a year or they take two and then they decide they're going to take a year off and the year off turns into like, three years off and then they get a job that they don't mind and they never go back. And then they've got like a half done degree. And I guess I never really even really thought about it, but like my parents, I never once felt like they were not supportive of me doing this, taking a year off. And I mean, like I said, it was, I always knew that I was going back. Like I, I, 
it was never a question for me that I, as to whether or not I would go back, but yeah, I do. I agree with you. And I think a lot of kids too, once they get into university, like you get a year into a degree and like, you feel like you're kind of invested in that degree. And even if you don't like it, you have to just kind of suck it up and finish the degree. And while I think that's true sometimes, I mean, there's something to be said for changing course. I mean, that's life that happens all the time, right? Where people... You know, I think people need to have earlier experience with this. Like, you know, in a way, your experience with McDonald's, knowing that it wasn't right for you and leaving right away uh, yeah. was uh, is, is not dissimilar to this because – but other people, it's it really uh, – I, I think it's really unfortunate that a lot of people would not feel like they had the permission to do this. And permission from who? All you need is permission from yourself, Right. Yeah, totally. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, you need permission from yourself. It definitely helps if you've got that support network around you that are encouraging you and are supportive of you saying like, you know, not that you need their permission, but they're giving their, they're giving their permission, right? Which just helps you feel supported. And like, you can actually, like, you can actually make that decision. And I know, like, especially coming back after taking that it wasn't even a whole year that I took off. It was a year that I took off from school, but I was only over in uh, Europe. I left in September and I came back in like January at the end of January. And so I worked for that like six months. And honestly, that was the best sort of medicine for me wanting to go back to school. Again, I worked, I worked kind of a, a manual labor job. I worked at a PVC uh, fabrication shop and like, it was not a fun job. It was super monotonous. And honestly, by the end of the spring, I can remember thinking like I would give anything to be sitting in a class right now, like bored listening to some professor talk about, you know, this, that, or the other, uh, the other thing. And so that was a really good incentive even for me to, to, uh, to go back. Your, uh, you know, your story reminds me of, um, so Tony Robbins, uh, he has a kid, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he does a similar thing to what Tony Robbins does, except he doesn't charge as, as much, right? <laughs> or he can't, right? No million-dollar yeah. retainer uh, yeah. for, for him. But uh, he told a story on a podcast about how, uh, you know, imagine your dad is Tony Robbins, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so he, in a very nice way, is always trying to help you improve yourself, help you uh, get the perspective that is necessary, I suppose, to be, uh, you know, a life coach and a motivational speaker. Totally. And so he would have won, you know, one summer, maybe he, I think the kid was in school and he said, uh, you know, what? I, um, I've been thinking about, you know, what, <laughs> what you still haven't faced yet in life. And I think, uh, you don't really know that much about uh, hard, like manual labor, hard labor, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my, uh, my grandfather or my step-grandfather or whatever has a, a lumber mill up in Canada, and uh, I've arranged for you to have a summer job up there, <laughs> just, you know, moving, moving lumber, you know, just hard labor all day, right? Yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, you know, he, he said, you don't have to do this, right? Like, I'm not like, you know, you're going away, right? It's, that, that's yeah. not Tony Robbins' style, but he's given them the opportunity to learn a little bit, uh, have a, a more well-rounded experience in life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he took it and, and, uh, you know, the story is in the first couple of days, it was just like hell for him, but eventually it got a little easier. And, and, uh, and he, you know, the, the sounds like you've, uh, just kind of jumped into different things and each one of these things has influenced your life in a little way. Would you say? Yeah, it totally has. Like, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, all of the, all of the, you know, the jobs that I've had have totally influenced, you know, my choice of uh, my choice of career. Like I said, I went in eyes wide open into education. I knew that becoming a teacher, I was never going to be like rich. I, I, I knew that if I wanted to be rich, going into teaching was not the profession, but I also knew that that would provide a return on my investment when it came to paying for my education. And, and that's definitely something that I, that I wanted to, uh, that I wanted to have. I think, you know, a lot of those jobs even taught me some persistence, like some grit, you know, there were jobs that the garbage man job, like when it would rain, I'd just be laying on the couch, like whining about how I didn't want to go to work the next day and stuff like that. And that, you know, like I had to suck it up and, and I did. And I think that definitely built some, some perseverance. And it also, we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, it gives you a perspective and it gives you a level of gratitude for the people that do the things that they do. Like even now I'll drive past like gratitude. Yeah, totally. Like I'll drive past a garbage man and like, I just know what he's, what he's going through. I can remember honestly, like, and didn't happen often, but I can remember being a garbage man and having someone like bring you a coffee from like Tim Hortons or something like that, they bring you a coffee and like, it's such a small little gesture, but it just meant so much to, to you when you're riding on the back of that truck and you know, it's day in day out and stuff like that. And so it has really given me a sense of gratitude for, you know, the work that they do, like, you know, the garbage, for example, you mean, you put it out at the end of the road and it's like disappears when you come home from work and you just sort of assume that it kind of happened by itself. Right. You know, someone did it, but you don't really think too much about it, but tell you like when it's, when it's cold or when it's rainy or, I mean, like those, I have a a whole new level of gratitude and talk about wanting to pass that on to like our kids. I remember like this was, I don't know if it was last summer, a couple summers ago, like we saw a garbage man in our neighborhood and I was with my daughter and I said, Hey, let's go to Tim Hortons and we're going to pick, we're going to pick up coffee and we're going to drop it off to the, to the garbage men. And we did. And you know, that's a lesson that I'm hoping that, you know, she'll pick up on. And, and even just, I, we talk about like treating people, whether it's, you know, the cab driver, whether it's the server or whatever, like I'm a big believer in like, there are no unimportant people. And so like, we have to, you know, we treat everybody, treat everybody the way we want to be treated. And I know that was a, that was a lesson that was passed on to me from my, my grandfather. My grandfather was quite a successful uh, businessman. He was the president of the cooperators insurance company. Oh, nice. Um, And so like, he has like just tons of stories about how he really treated people with respect and how, how that was not only a positive thing for them, but how that really helped, you know, that helped him even like, even in his business, it helped him. Right. And stuff like that. And so I'm a big believer in, you know, like, you know, what you put into the ground is what you get out sort of thing. Right. And so, you know, if you're respectful of other people, then you're going to get that respect and you're going to get other things uh, that are, that are good back. That's a, it's a great uh, to have a role model, you know, in business like that to sort mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, you know, help you craft your presence so you're you're an assistant principal. It took a couple of years, I'm guessing, to get to there, and then you get the opportunity uh, to bring personal finance into the school. Yeah. So so I've taught for 11 years. I've been an assistant principal for like about five years now, and always kind of wanted to bring a, a level of finance in. My personal finance journey really started when I got married. That's really when sort of like the whole financial element of life became a little more 
uh, I don't want to say real, but like just having to, you know, have a household and manage finances and kind of talk with someone about everything. That's really when I, you know, kind of took more of a, more of an interest. And really it was my wife who sort of said like, Hey, I'd like you to learn more about personal finance. You're going to be, you know, between the two of us, we're going to be kind of running, uh, running our household finances. And I'm just not comfortable kind of with where your, your knowledge is at this point. And so I took that and I said, yeah, sure. I'm going to, I'm going to learn more about it. And so from that point forward, I always kind of had it in my mind, like, you know, it'd be really great to integrate this into, into education because, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it's like where you live, but where I live, a lot of the, math education is really theoretical and not super practical. It's kind of the only math that really is like practical is, is the math that is more or less like non academic, right? Like the non university track. Yeah. Um, We probably have a similar education. Uh, You know, I, there was, there were three, three different maths, finite algebra and calculus when I, when I went to high school and uh, you know, since you went in the eighties, you might've had uh, or 90s you might have had the same ones too yeah pretty similar i mean we had we had calculus and then we had a like basically it was a non-calculus class that just had everything uh okay. that had everything else in it but we also had like a we also had like a non so that was if you wanted to go to university you could yeah. take either of those tracks right but then there was also like a non-university track and that was where the kids were learning like budgeting they were learning how to calculate interest they were learning like you know they were learning that would have been great i i, mean, I was gonna say yeah totally, totally useful and yeah. uh so you had that or no you went to the university so you didn't i didn't take that exactly mm. no so i didn't take i didn't take any of that but so when i got an education i did a little poking around and i I be, it became clear to me that like, you know, I was doing, I was looking at some of the curriculum and I was like, the stuff that's practical is actually sort of in this non-academic stream of, of math. I'd like to bring something that's a little more applicable into, to our kids. And so I taught, uh, I taught mostly junior high, uh, at the time. And so as I was an assistant principal, I started to have a little more freedom to kind of suggest to teachers, you know, like, hey, how could we integrate this into the math curriculum? I never taught math. I'm a science guy. That was primarily what I taught. And so it didn't always really fit into what I was uh, what I was teaching as far as my curriculum. But as an assistant principal, I tried to kind of like nudge people to bring that in. You have the uh, power now. You, you're an influencer. Yeah, yeah you, you, you do. But it is still limited, <laughs> right? And like kind of how you sort of like wield your your power you know what i mean you do have more influence definitely um and so i tried tried to kind of rather than like you know influence people i i, I like the term nudge i would try to like nudge or encourage it's a, good word. It's, a it's a popular word these days it is a popular word kind of in that sort of direction right and, and so, it's popular in the financial wellness uh, space uh, we learned uh, at a conference uh, last week and uh that's the way to get uh, employees and uh other people kind of into the retirement programs and, uh, you know, into the matching RSP, you can't push them. You got to nudge it. Totally. And I know like I have, uh, I've got a piece on my, on my site, uh, where I recommend some books. And one of the books for your listeners is like nudge. There's an actual book called nudge. It's mm-hmm. written by a Nobel prize winning behavioral economist. And it's a great book. It's just basically about using like small, really subtle shifts in how you frame a decision to, and even how you frame language in order to help people move in a direction that is a little bit more positive. And so that's kind of what I was trying to do with some of these, these teachers. 
So I got to my present school and we started teaching an options class. This was an elementary school for our grade five and six kids. And so our principal essentially had kind of said like, you know, you can choose sort of whatever, whatever option you, you would like. Like what what is an options class? That's a, that's a new term for me. Okay. So it's like, it's not a required, it's not a required class and the kids get to choose which one they want to actually, uh, which one they they want to actually be in. Like from a list uh, or a a couple of choices. Yeah, exactly. And it's really rare in elementary school. Like usually in elementary school, it's pretty, pretty, you know, like it's pretty laid out what you have to take in elementary, right? You don't usually get too many, too many choices, but we had a lot of great choices. So like we ran baking and we had like some phys ed stuff. We had some like robotics and some like videography and stuff like that. We had really cool, cool options. And so last year I ran a leadership option, but this year I decided, Hey, you know what? I want to, uh, I want to run a personal finance option. And I, kind of develop the curriculum. And I really wanted to, you know, I didn't want to make it super boring for kids. Obviously I wanted them to be engaged. And so I made it, it's all interactive and it's all like, it's all online. I use Google classroom for everything. So there's tons of like apps and interactive things that the kids, uh, that the kids can do and use while they're learning about personal finance. And so I've got grade five and sixes and, you know, we talk about saving, spending, we talk about investing, we talk about the difference between needs and wants. We talk about entrepreneurship. I've got a, a club that I'm running in the school right now where we partnered with BMO and we run like, uh, it's called Entrepreneurial Adventure. And so the kids actually, we're just in the process of starting our own business. So like we've been, I've been meeting every, every week for a lunch hour. We're coming up with a product we're going to sell the product. The money's going to go to charity. It's the kids have decided they want to go to the make a wish foundation. And so we're actually going to run this business. We're going to sell stuff. We're going to make money and, and give it all to charity. And it's just kind of all a part of the push that I want for our kids is to give them a little bit of an introduction into the world of personal finance and entrepreneurship. And I kind of want to stoke some of that, uh, that fire that's inside some of them when it comes to, you know, being wise with how they handle, how they handle their money. That's really amazing. This is, this is all your initiative too. So, but you have the support because it's a, it's an options thing that you can just come up with this. Yeah, totally. I've been like, I've been very fortunate because in a lot of schools, they don't have that level of freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've been very fortunate to have, to have a very supportive principal who has given me that freedom and have been able to kind of implement it how, how I want. And I mean, the kids love it. They, they do like, I mean, we're in class, we're running, you know, they're running their own businesses. We've got like little, like, uh, you know, animations and little sort of like simulators where they get to run their own business and, you know, they're buying inventory and they're selling. And then these, some of the inventory, they're running their own coffee shop. The inventory is going bad and they have to learn like, okay, I, you know, I shouldn't buy too much milk. If I buy too much milk, then it's a waste. Right. And so they're learning all these things and they're really getting to experiment and really getting to grow. And the only way that happens is with a, a you know, community of people that are supportive of that, uh, of that taking place. And I've been very fortunate because I do have a really supportive community that have let me kind of, kind of do this. And it's been really, really cool. You know, you know what I was just thinking when you were saying all that stuff, it's all amazingly useful skills to have, but I feel like the, the way that I went through school and maybe you have a similar experience, 
all of these things that you're talking about that I now you know use on an everyday basis to, to, to make money and run a business, they were sort of frowned upon versus the academic mm. route. You know, it's like, let's learn more about business ethics, which is also very useful. But like, you know, let's learn about the, uh, the theory behind everything instead of doing it. And, and uh, is that changing now? I really kind of hope it is. Uh, but do you agree that we kind of went through that? Oh, I totally agree. We went through that. Like I think about my like high school education, you know, my, my grade 12, you know, social studies, you're talking about like the theories of economics. You're, you know, you're looking at capitalism, you're looking at communism, you're looking at socialism, all really important things to learn. Like, don't get me wrong, really important. And, you know, you have to have sort of that broad base of knowledge in order to, you know, be a, a wise, productive member of society. I should say you need, you need that. It definitely helps to have that, to have that broad spectrum of knowledge, but I totally agree. Like where's the practical stuff? Like when you get to, when you get to that age. And I do think that's changing slightly. I know just even in some of the conversations that I, that I'm having with my principal and even some of the kind of movers and shakers in my school board, that is starting to shift. I think people are starting to see that like maybe we've, leaned too far to sort of the theory side of things. And maybe we need to get a little more boots on the ground, a little more practical because the kids that we're graduating, oftentimes they don't have the skills that the basic skills that they need in order to be, you know, we talk about making productive members of society. Like I look at the stats, 47% of Canadians are losing sleep at night because they're worried about their finances. Like we're not, something's not, something's not working here. Like what, what, why is this message not being communicated? There's, there's some failure happening. And I do think at a certain level, the education piece needs to change. And I do think that could have a really positive, really positive impact. Obviously there's tons of other factors, you know, you talk about consumer culture and all these different things, but, but I do think, um, you know, as people gain a little bit of knowledge, they make wiser decisions typically, right? Like, and, and I mean, not always, but it certainly doesn't hurt to have that knowledge and that, and that foundation. And like, would have it helped us in high school to have been able to, you know, you know, do a budget and learn about interest and, you know, do some basic math when it comes to investing and compounding and debt and stuff like that. Yeah, it probably would have. And I mean, I know, I know a little bit about your story. Like you got into financial trouble, like largely because of the the addiction that you were dealing with, but like for a lot of people, you know, I don't necessarily know what it, if it is an addiction. Some of it is just mindlessness, right? Like they're just not intentional about what they're doing. And then they wake up one morning and they're in a hole that they have no idea how they kind of got there. What I learned last week in this uh, financial wellness conference was, uh, you know, you think it's, uh, it's, mis- it's, uh, you know, mental health and other issues, addiction that cause a lot of this stuff and that cause uh, poverty. And the, the studies find that a lot of it is, is simple mismanagement. <clears throat> and, and yeah. to hear, just to hear that is, is really frustrating because, you know, somebody gets their paycheck and maybe they heard once they should put some of it away, but they're like, for what? I'm going to, I'm invincible. I'm going to make another, get another paycheck. So I'm going to buy a TV instead or, you know, a bigger TV than I wanted, or I'm going to buy this car that I don't necessarily need or whatever decision is made based on lack of information about protecting your future. And people think, oh, I don't need an emergency fund. Uh, You know, I'll just, you know, use my credit card uh, or whatever. they, They don't know what happens really 
when you don't have any money to pay for the thing that you need. And I think going through that is an important, it's almost an important lesson. I don't want anyone to have to go through it. But if you're in a situation where you can't buy the things that you actually need to live, it's really troubling. And you think back to the time when you could have saved some money for you in the future when this bad thing is happening to you because no one is invincible and no one likes to think about it. But, uh, you know, bad things happen. But they don't, they're not so bad if you have the ability to pay for them or pay for your living while you're getting through them. Yeah, totally. I, I echo everything that you said. That emergency fund is is huge. And it's just you you build a you build a margin into your life, right? Where like That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. I mean it's basically like it's like walking around outside and like you've got an umbrella in case it rains. Like it may never rain, but it's good to have the umbrella just in case it does, right? Because then you're not gonna you're not gonna get wet. And when it rains and you got an umbrella, yeah, it kind of sucks. But like it's not nearly as bad as it is. You don't get nearly as wet as if you don't have an umbrella. It's just like, it acts as like that buffer. Right. And even I think when you talk about, you know, the mental health piece, jeepers, man, I can't imagine. I would be stressed too. If I like, we have an emergency fund that we've put away. I would be, I would be crazy stressed if I didn't have that because that, you know, that's the buffer. That's sort of like, I know that if things go sideways, we've got this buffer that we've built up and, you know, we can, we can use that. It's funny. Cause I even find myself like when that emergency fund, when we have to use it for something, I get a little edgy and a little nervous just when it goes under a certain amount. Right. Yeah. But in my mind, I've kind of said like, okay, that's the amount we want to keep it at. And when it goes under that, I get a little bit edgy because I, in my, in my own self, I, in my, my, my mind, I know, okay, that margin that I had that I felt comfortable with has now shrunk. I'm a little bit closer to, you know, whatever that threat kind of, uh, whatever that threat kind of is. When I get too close to that, it makes me, uh, it makes me nervous. I can't imagine what it would be like without having that, uh, that sort of buffer. I mean, it's no wonder that so many people are stressed about their, uh, about their finances. I'm really glad that you're doing this in the school because I just feel like it, it's nobody, I feel like it's nobody's fault, <laughs> really. But mm-hmm. but we're like the mentality is all wrong about this, right? Everyone's uh, too focused on uh, consumerism and spending, uh, and you can do all that stuff fine. You can buy things, but the, you know why did we uh, uh, get away from this? Uh, you got to put some money away first. Like, wasn't the wealthy barber a popular book? I, I thought people read it, <laughs> and it's pay yourself first. And the barber's like you know a millionaire or whatever. You know, it's not rocket science. It's not something that's difficult to do when you have the money. And it's so difficult to do when you have no money. And mm-hmm. that's how payday loan companies survive. That's, that's how credit card companies survive. You know, if you're a, a responsible credit card user uh, who always pays on time, you might wonder yourself one day, how do credit cards even make any money? I don't pay them any interest. They pay me rewards. What's happening? And it's the what's happening is really unfortunate on the dark side of credit. And uh, I just wish we could stop this early. There are uh, things that happen that you can't avoid. There, there are there are bad things that happen, and and uh, uh, they're going to cost you money. 
and sometimes you can't predict them, and sometimes you're in a bad life situation, and all that happens. But there's so much of this that is avoidable, and I'm not talking about the unavoidable stuff. I'm talking about the the ability to to plan. It's just totally glossed over in our in our education about life. I mean, I think the the adage is like basically, you know, with a fifth grade math education, you have everything you need in order to be successful financially, right? Like the math really isn't that that difficult to just, you know, to oh, do. And there's, the, and there's calculators and spreadsheets that can do math for you. Exactly, it's, it's exactly. concepts. Yeah, totally. And that's I think like so that's kind of one of the things that I've really been drawn to a lot, and it's it's funny because I don't before I was starting to like write so much on finance, I don't, I think I knew this, but I wasn't really drawn to it as much, but I find myself as I'm writing, I'm always kind of pulled back to writing about sort of the mindset that we have when it comes to our, our money. I know like, you know, you read different blogs and on Twitter and it's, you know, it's, you know, it's ways to do this ways to do that. And it's kind of more, it's a lot of really nuts and bolts things, which I think is important because the, obviously the methods that you use are really, are really important. But I think a big gap and you hit on it is what, what are your thoughts about money? What are, what are your beliefs about money? What are, what are your mindsets about money that underlie all of your behaviors, right? Because we know like, I mean, basic, basic human psychology is, you know, we have our, we have our thoughts, our thoughts lead to our behaviors and our behaviors lead to our outcomes. Right. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how life works. And I think we focus a ton on the behaviors when it comes to personal finance. Like we spend a lot of time talking about the behaviors and the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty, but I don't think we spend very much time talking about like, what are, what are people's underlying beliefs behind their behaviors like why because people know like you should spend less than you make you reference the wealthy barber like people know like paying yourself first makes sense it's pretty basic stuff when, it, when you really think about it but the application uh, as you said yeah the application is really complicated and the more i read and the more that i kind of like think and and research on this the more i'm convinced that like the best way to succeed is actually to sort of like just automate things so that you are like automate things so that you are not responsible for making like daily wise decisions because yeah. take the emotions can. out of it because totally you're right. You're, we're not, we're not equipped for this, right? We need no, to just not. follow the instructions, especially in, in emotional times of our life. Oh man, having to make decisions then. And, and, and isn't it nice that everything's just happening automatically in the background uh, totally. when this uh, horrible thing is happening in my life? Right. Totally is. And I think the other thing too, the, like the, the, uh, the other piece of psychology is, you know, if you are having to like, so let's use pay yourself first as an example. If you don't have that automated, you have to make that decision every single month yeah. and every yeah. single day you have to make the decision not to dip into that, that fund that you're paying yourself first into. Right. Whereas if you have that automated and you're not even seeing it, you, you only have to make that decision one time. And I mean, we've all made the decision. I mean, how many of us have gone to the gym one time thinking like this is going to be like a change in lifestyle or like we had a healthy meal or maybe we ate healthy for a week? You know, like humans are capable of like short term wise decision making like that's yeah. everybody. Everybody can do that. Right. So you can make the decision once. And then if you automate it, you literally never have to make that wise decision ever again. You don't have to expend the mental energy. It's all you're always making that 
that wise decision. It's one of the reasons why, I mean, I personally don't use a robo-advisor because I'm kind of, I mean, I'm not, uh, obviously I'm like, you know, I, I'm a human being, I have emotions, but as far as like being on the emotional spectrum, I would be more on kind of like the even keel end of the spectrum. Yeah, so you don't I'm seem a, to be that driven to... You know, to spend your money on this or that. It's no, a, exactly. Yeah. So you are more of a candidate for kind of looking at your own investments. It's, if if you like it, if you like doing yeah, it. Yeah, totally. And I, that's, a, that's the other thing, right? Like I do like doing it. I don't, I don't love spending like a ton of time researching like, you know, all the, you know, the financials and all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm a couch potato investor. So sure. literally I, it takes me 15 minutes a year to manage my investments. Now I had to put a lot of time in up front because I, I, you know, I researched which method was best and which funds I wanted to be in and, you know, the balance of, you know, where I wanted my money and stuff like that. So there was a, an investment in time up front, but now literally it takes me 15 minutes. I, my brother-in-law, um, very smart guy. He's a surgeon. He's got his master's from the Ivy school of business at Western, like really smart guy. And he, you know, he asked me over Christmas, he's like, you know, what do you, what do you think the markets are going to do this year? And I was a little bit embarrassed, honestly, because <laughs> like, you know, I've got this blog, I'm supposed to know a little something about money. I literally looked at them kind of sheepishly. And I was like, what did they do last year? Like, I, yeah. I literally had, I literally had no idea because I, I don't get in, into that either. I, I don't no. get into, there's no reason to get into that detail unless you're, I want to be a stock trader. Totally. And, and I think unless you can filter that out, you need to go with like a robo advisor is a great, is a great option, right? If you, if you can't, if you know yourself and you know, you're going to the emotional swings of like seeing on the news at night, you know, just recently the stock market dropping, like whatever, you know, like five or seven or 10% in a day. And like, people are freaking out and everybody's calling their financial advisor. Like if you know yourself and you know, you, you can't, you know, you can't take that. Robo advisor is a great uh, is a great option for me. I don't. It doesn't affect me as much. I don't get emotional. But I think for people that do, you can automate it. It rebalances. I mean, it does everything. I know I heard your podcast where you were in uh, at Planswell, and I've done some work with Planswell. Like, I mean, you can automate everything, and like you make a couple wise decisions, like literally one time in your life, and you just set yourself up for success down the down the line. It's, it's, it's never been easier, honestly, to, to set yourself up for financial success than it is right now in a lot of ways. Well, and, and, and it's funny. So yeah, you said plans well and, uh, you know, plans well and well, simple and, and nest wealth. And, you know, I, I've had, uh, uh, several of these people on the podcast and the good news about all of this is, is there's these teams of people there to help you, right? Mm -hmm. Especially, especially plans. Well, it's free. Uh, first of all, um, to get a, yeah, a plan. plan. And, yeah, and, totally. and uh, the reason I, I, I've aligned myself with them and I, I like them is because we have the same philosophy of a holistic financial plan and how important it is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, no, the patchwork that everybody uh, talks about. You know, I'm going to go into a bank and bring $20,000 and say, can you please open up an RSP account for me? Not even really knowing what, what it's going to be invested in. They don't know that you have the $30,000 in debt. And, mm -hmm. and even if they do, they're probably not even allowed to say, you know what, you should really take this 20,000 and put it on your debt, right? Let's have a conversation about that, right? What, what are your goals for this money? What do you want to be doing? Why do people not uh, need that? Uh, why is it not an important thing for someone to say, 
uh, what's making you want to do this? Is it the ad that you saw on television saying that tomorrow's the deadline? That's, it's the worst reason to do anything with your money. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that's why these companies are a great thing and why I hope they just keep getting better and more of them because then we just have these teams of people who are trying uh, their hardest uh, to help us have a better financial future. And of course, they're going to make some money along the way, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is the benefits are for you and you're going to have to pay for this stuff anyway. And they're actually helping you save money uh, most of the time on all of this different stuff. So it's like, you know, people can, the, I, I think people miss this. People can make money while helping you save money and plan for your future too. And uh, what has happened is uh, the mutual fund industry and uh, all of the, the, the salesmen of the past 15, 20, 15 years have ruined this picture of, uh, of this kind of company. And I think uh, hopefully the, some of the robos and, and other companies are bringing it back to a more positive. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And I think like the, the robo-advisors in my mind are a, first, are a great first step. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I, lo- I like the fact that the robo-advisors... Uh, you know, they take out the, um, they take out the emotion and they're low cost. Like, you know, you're not getting ripped off at a, at, at like you said, like the, the robo advisors that you mentioned, whether it's Nest Wealth or, um, or Wealth Simple or, or Plans Well. The thing I liked about Plans Well, like you said, is just that they take everything into consideration. And I like the fact, I, I, I don't blame someone at a bank. Like it's really, be really hard, you know, someone comes in and says, I have $20,000. I want to invest in an RRSP. Like yeah, it's, it's their job. They have, they're going to do job. something. Yeah, exactly. you're right. And I mean, they have, and it's they have to make a living too. And the, they totally. have mandates, but they're terrible, terrible rules and, and, uh, and quotas and mandates. And I, I, <laughs> totally. I hate them. Um, so. I, <laughs> I totally, I, I totally agree. I think the, I think the thing that I like about, plans well is the way they've got it structured the way the the way the you know the way the fees are structured it's set up in a way that it eliminates that 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 inherent bias right like so like it's hard to blame the guy at the the bank who needs to put food on their table for not selling you twenty thousand dollars worth of a a mutual fund in your rrsp it's hard it's not it's not right or like i shouldn't say it's not right because they're not really doing anything ethically wrong they're doing exactly what you're asking them to do there's just a better way to do it yeah right and that's and that's what i feel about like even you know like a robo advisor so like if i was to go to you know well simple and say hey i've got twenty thousand dollars i want to invest it they would say absolutely like let's do it and there's nothing ethically wrong about that but like you said if you've got thirty thousand dollars worth of debt that you're paying like 15 percent interest rate on there's a much better way financially for you to use your to money get to get to get the yeah. biggest bang for to get the biggest bang for your buck. And so what I hope is that you know we start seeing more of this like holistic comprehensive financial planning that's done at like a reasonable cost because I'm a guy I've always wanted to do a financial plan yeah. but I'm with you I was never going to pay an advisor like 2% on my on my investments so that they would do quote unquote a free financial plan for me. Like I was never going to do that. And I also like, I looked into fee only planners and I had a hard time, 
you know, shelling out the thousand dollars or the fifteen hundred dollars. I was I've been close before, and you know, I probably would have done that because I really see value in financial planning. Like, there's definitely value there. It's definitely a valuable service. But the thing I like about you know companies like Planswell, and like you said, hopefully other companies will kind of follow yeah, suit. Yeah, I feel it, like the you know the they're all kind of. I, the the plans was kind of paving the way, and uh, uh, you know, well, like well, simple did for simple investing as well, and totally. I just hope it opens the door. But uh, you know, that's why uh, that's why we exist. We're here to uh, to share the information that the banks won't share with you because uh-huh. they have uh, a, another way. So you uh, made a decision to become one of these uh, uh, crusaders for everybody, <laughs> not just for the kids. Yeah. So what what made you want to want to start writing all this stuff? Well, you know what I like part of part of what it was was you know I would oftentimes have conversations with you know with my friends or with my uh, with my family members when it came to you know things that were finance uh, finance related and because I am a teacher you know being a teacher you know it's not something that I like I have the degree to like you know be able to teach you know, school, but being a teacher is not just about the piece of paper. It's, it's who I am, right? I taught before I was, you know, officially a a classroom teacher. And, you know, once I retire from teaching, I'm going to teach, like, it's just who I am. I am a teacher. And so I have this desire to teach. I've got this passion for personal, for personal finance. I followed a lot of people on like Twitter and stuff like that. you know, I would, I would read different, uh, different things on, uh, online and, uh, had that desire to teach and thought, you know, I wasn't totally sure what that would look like. So, you know, initially I thought that might look like teaching some classes kind of in the community and stuff like that, maybe through my church or something like that and seeing what that would look like. And then I honestly don't even know where the decision to kind of start a blog came from. Like I said, literally it started with me kind of sitting down and saying like Googling, how, how do you start a blog? And then I think it just kind of snowballed and it was like, you know what? I think I could actually do this. Like, and it's not that much, it's not that much to start, right? Like there's not that huge, uh, that huge investment of money off the, no, that's the best part. It totally uh, is. Like, I mean, you can start it for like well under like what? 50 bucks. Like easily you can start it for, you can get, if you, if you really on a budget, you can get websites for free. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a website, uh, Pete McPherson's website called, do you even blog? And, uh, he, you know, he basically is teaching people how to, how to blog. And, and there's that, that there's so many easy options now, but uh, it sounds like you're doing pretty well with it. Uh, you've been published uh, in uh, some big uh, publications. Is that right? Well, I had, uh, I've honestly, like, I've been so fortunate. I've had a lot of really great people that have like just encouraged me. And for whatever reason, I've really like, have really helped me out. So the first big person that, that I was able to kind of connect with was Jonathan Chevro, who, I mean, I've read tons of his stuff. You know, he writes for financial posts and money sense and stuff like that. And that's one of the great things about social media. You can actually just reach out to these people, which is like, yeah. And, and, so, John, and Jonathan will have a conversation with you, which is very nice. And if you totally meet him, if, I don't know if you met him in person, at a, I never have. No, if you meet him at a conference, he's not, he's the least pretentious guy. You know, he'll, he'll talk to you and yeah, that, he, that's the best thing about this whole community is um, very few of us in, in the Canadian uh, personal finance uh, world. We, yeah, we, we just want to help. That's yeah, really what totally. It's about. So, and so you're in the right place. 
Yeah. So it was, so like, I literally just reached out. I think he followed me or something like that on Twitter. And I just reached out. I was like shocked that he followed me. So I was, I sent him a message and I just said, Hey, like, thank you for following me. Like, it's such an honor. Like I read your stuff and just really appreciate it. And he sent me a message back and he was like, Hey, yeah, well, uh, you know, you're welcome. And Hey, if you ever want anything, uh, published uh on independence hub you know let me know nice. and we'll, yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what we do and i was like what like i've been blogging for a couple months when he's like, <laughs> that's super for cool for, for him to say that that's really it was neat. like it was it was huge and so i mean obviously i took him up on the offer i was sure, like yeah yeah <laughs> i was like absolutely i will so it did that and honestly part of it part of how i was able to you know get published with you know with him and with other people is you know i haven't been I haven't been scared to like reach out and ask. So like I, I had, uh, I had one of my articles appear in, in money sense, which again was just like shocking to me, like this magazine that like, yeah, I've been reading I've, it for, for, I don't know. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't even exist in print anymore. Right. Yeah. Like but, you've been reading for years. Right. Yeah, like, years. And so I was like kind of naive enough. I like, I just reached out and I just said like, Hey, you know, like I'm a financial blogger and love to write something for you. Like, you know, let me know if, if you'd be interested and I didn't hear anything back from them, right? Like crickets. And that's pretty much what I kind of expected, but I thought, you know what, you, if you don't ask, you're, you're never gonna, you're never gonna know. And then like out of the blue, like a few, few weeks later, I got an email from one of their, uh, one of their uh, editors and she was like, yeah, I read some of your stuff. It's really great. We'd love to re- repost one of your, one of your pieces. And again, I was like, for real, like it was just, it was kind of, it was, it was shocking, kind of surreal. So I've been very, 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 very fortunate to have um, people kind of like support me. And honestly, you mentioned it earlier, the personal finance community, they are super supportive. Like they're great. They are. It's fantastic. Like I think we talk about teachers, like the reason people are in this space is because these people have heart hearts of, of teachers. Right. And teachers want to help people. Like, I mean, even with you, like, you know, I, I reached out to you and like, you got back to me and I've, you know, I've just, I've really found that the community is just really, really super supportive. Um, whether it's of other bloggers or of the people that, you know, that are just reading their, their work and stuff like that. Like they just want to help people because a lot of it is we've been able to experience, you know, the financial freedom and the financial peace that like comes with making these wise decisions. And it, as teachers, I think we just feel selfish keeping it to ourselves, right? Like it's almost like yeah. you just can't keep it to yourself. And like you talked about the banks earlier, like you get angry when you see people doing things that are like not smart, right? I, yeah, I that's how it started for me. And then uh, when Well Simple uh, started, I was like, "This is great," and I reached out to them. And apparently, I was one of the first uh, people around the time that they were launched. And it just made so much sense. And this is what we need right now, not 2.5% mutual funds. Totally. But, you know, it's, uh, it's really great uh, to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, you, you did the right thing and, and, uh, and posted a, a, a blog post with a whole bunch of uh, candy bars. And that's how, that's how you got my attention. It's very smart. <laughs> very smart. I like Twix. It's right in the middle there. You're welcome to the club. I mean, this is uh, – uh, I hope that uh, – that you keep doing this and then you're on a bunch of podcasts and you keep I see you're, you're writing tons of stuff about different topics. And, and so the place to find you is method to your money.ca. Is that right? Yeah. Method to your money.ca. You can find me, uh, you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter too. I'm uh, method underscore money. And then on Facebook, uh, my Facebook page is method to your money. I'd love to love to chat with you. I'd love to, uh, 
love to hear, uh, love to hear from you. I'm posting about once a week right now. I usually post like kind of Sunday night, Monday sort of thing. And hopefully I'm, I've got plans to, uh, got plans to start posting twice a week. Actually, Bo, I need to ask you, uh, bold, maybe I'll ask you after, I'll, I'll ask you after the podcast, but I, I uh, have a feature of uh, some bloggers that I'm uh, that I'm working on, just kind of asking them some different questions and stuff like that. So I'll uh, hopefully get you to to check that out, uh, check that out as well. And yeah, thank you awesome. for thank you for uh, for welcoming me, and thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to me, and it only takes a few seconds. For the show notes and any links from the episode, head over to my website, investwisely.ca. And while you're there, please feel free to send me a message on my contact page. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. I'll be back next week with Brendan Lee Young and Brendan Wood, co-founders of a new company called Passive.